You're watching a video from the Alley Church, located in Cottage Grove, Minnesota. All right. Good morning. So great to be with you. Yes. All right. It's Labor Day weekend. It's raining, and you got to come to church. Yes. Come on. Yes, I'm so glad it's raining for all those who went out. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I just want to say, I just wanted to let you guys know, you know, me and Melanie are planting a church, and we just want to invite you downstairs. There's going to be some sweets and some drinks, but in order for you to get all that stuff, you got to listen to us. And so, but it's free. <laughs> So uh, come on down. We're not asking for no money. We're just asking for you guys to hear more about us, to know more about us. I know people always ask me, like, almost like every Sunday, so tell me, what's going on? Hey, what's happening? What are you doing? And I'm like, well, this, 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 and that. And I got, like, 20 things going on at all times. Cylinders are always running. But like David Black, thanks for the support of my wife. We're able to get a lot of things done, and we, we just want to share with you guys like some of the great advancements that God has happened. And uh, also want to just challenge you guys to do something that's, that may be a little bit new. Like if you see somebody that you've never, ever seen before come to the alley, ask them to sit with you. You know how, you know, like I heard this story about these kids who created this club in high school to make people sit and eat lunch with them so nobody felt lonely. Man, wouldn't that be awesome if somebody walked through the door and you'd be like, if somebody invites you to sit with them? I mean, I love that. That's one of the reasons I love the alley because we're able to connect with people. So, and that's one of, the, one of the ways that we can just connect deeper with families and individuals as they walk through the door. Just ask them to sit with you. You know, the seats aren't marked like they were when I grew up. So I'm going to talk a little bit about. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about. So today. We get to talk about being reconciled. Now, I'm going to just put a precursor out there. I tried to avoid this part of the subject. I met with Pastor Ben. We talked about an hour about it. And we saw that we could not avoid this word. We saw that it is unavoidable. It is something that God has instituted and wanted to point out in us as believers that this word has been happening for over 2,000 years, and he has the answer for it, but we can't avoid it. And that's one of the things that we have to understand. And I bet you guys are wondering what this word is. And the word is really, it's a tag word right now. And I want you, if you get mad, send Pastor Ben an email. <laughs> don't email me. Don't text me. Don't Facebook message me. Don't do none of that call your pastor. <laughs> All right? I just want you to know, and this word is racism. All right? It's, a, it's, it's not a good word. It's not a word that we like to talk about. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. And like, as you grow up and, and as your parents do better, as they hit these like kind of hard times, there's moments in, in the kid's life where things get more difficult as they transition into a new atmosphere, into a new place. So growing up, my parents were divorced when I was six. My dad lives in New Jersey, and I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And so my mom was working for the Federal Drug Administration downtown in the city. And so we didn't have, like, uh, a lot of different experiences except for the city growing up. So at one time, my mom was looking for a new job, 
And this guy like approached her and said, I need somebody with your skill set. Will you come work for me? And lo and behold, he was a pastor. And he gave her a salary that was double the salary she was making for the government. And then she, and what happened was she was like, well, we're living in this place, but we can afford to live in this place. And so we moved. We moved to a, a totally different atmosphere where I was a kid that everybody looked like me, talked like me, ran like me, everything, to a place where I was very different. <laughs> I was so different. Like, I remember the first day of school, the only person that looked like me was the bus driver. And so when I went to school, there were only five other kids that looked like me. And so I started to hear words <laughs> that I've never heard before. I started to hear insults that I've never even known before. <laughs> and I started to see a community of people not really like me. I came from a community of people that really liked me to a community that didn't like me. I didn't understand what it was. I said, man, we moved to a new place. We got a bigger house. I, we, could, we have so many more friends. I have so many more places to explore. But then I come into this atmosphere that's totally built with tension every day. And I had to deal with it. As a kid, I had to grow up with it. As, a, as a, young, a young man growing up, I was the only way I learned to deal with stuff was fighting. So I became a fighter. <laughs> and I fought all the time. <laughs> and so, and though, so that what happened is I got in lots of trouble fighting over, over words, <laughs> over feelings, over tensions. And so why that matters in this moment is that this is not something that ends. And the Bible is showing us in these passages, as we start to read this, that this is something that's not going to end, but we as believers need to deal with it. And so as I'm telling you my story, as a believer, I had to deal with it. As somebody that had to wrestle with who they were and their identity, it doesn't go away. You still have to deal with it. As you raise your kids, your kids are going to have to deal with it. So we have to teach them what the Word says, because it's evident truth. That's going to happen. So let's open our Bibles to Ephesians uh, 2, 11 through 22. And I'm just going to, I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, and so it may sound, it will sound a little bit different than ESV. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised which is done in the flesh by human hands and at, the, at, and at that time you were without Christ excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in this world but now Remember, Pastor Ben said, you better watch out for them butts. <laughs> but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one. And listen to this, tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made it of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he may create himself one 
new man. Not one new man from nothing, but one new man from the two, resulting in peace. I'm going to just stop right there. So as you're hearing this, you're saying God in his flesh, as his flesh died upon the cross, we're going to continue to talk about this. He said he is the peace. He, he tore down the wall of hostility between who? The uncircumcised and the circumcised. Not making them two, but making them one. That's where we're at. He did this so that he may reconcile both to God in one body. See, Jesus ain't making 20 brides to come up. He wants one bride. And so sometimes we think, of just, we think about this one bride, and we don't think about the body of the bride coming together. And through the cross by which he put hostility to death, all tension and hostility died on the cross. I'm going to just say it. Racism died on the cross. Bigotry died on the cross. Division died on the cross. And then he says, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. There was nobody who, was, who, who couldn't have the peace of Jesus. Everybody has the availability and the power to, to receive the peace of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're uncircumcised or circumcised. You too can have the peace of Jesus. So then you, then you who are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, in him... The whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in spirit. Jesus, thank you for your word. We ask as we partake and, and be able to understand and to know. Let us not just know knowledge with knowledge. Know that you are God as an experiential way, God. Let us experience the tangible presence of who you are today as we reach into the, the rest of this message and your word and how, you, and how you enlighten us, God. We ask for your power to be upon us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. In Jesus' name, thank you. So this is the one that, second, go to the next slide for me. Second Peter 2.10 says this, once you were not my people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you can't put your place in that scripture right there, if you can't see yourself through those words right there, we need to have a conversation. Because this is for everybody. This is not just, this is not just for anybody. This is for everybody. Like I said before, this is for whosoever. This is for everybody. So as we look at this, we say, why is Paul talking about racism? Why would he, after Pastor Ben talked, we've talked about being saved. We're talking about the blessings of Christ. We're talking about redemption through his blood. We're talking about how our identity is. How does this affect our identity? How is this affecting who he is? Why is Paul taking the time out to talk about this? What did Paul do? What happened to Paul as we're looking at Ephesians 2? Something happened. 
don't know about you. When something happens to me, I write about it. If I, was, if I didn't have Facebook or a blog, I'd be talking about it. Trust me. I'd have talked to Pastor Ben plenty of times. I'd say, man, something's going on. I'm talking about it. You talk to your friends, you're talking about it. So why, why did Paul start talking about it? I mean, it was really good until then. But then he was like, man, Ephesians, I'm going to talk to you about what you just did. They did something. I'm not sure everybody understands they did something really wild. I asked my wife this question. Do you know why Paul went to jail? And she said, yeah, for sharing the gospel. I said, it's even more specific than that. It's even more specific than that. Why Paul is in prison. It's even more specific than, than just sharing the gospel. It's even more. It's the, we call it courage. It's called taking risks for the gospel no matter what it means. And Paul took a risk. And he took a risk and he said, you know what? I understand what Jesus did on the cross. And what my risk right now to you is to say I'm going to do something. And I don't care about the consequences. I may break a law. Because when he broke the law, something happened, and he had some consequences that he had to deal with. He said, I'm still going to do, I'm going to know who my God is, and I'm going to stay still in him, and I'm still going to preach the gospel through this incident. And so let's go to Acts 21, the 28 through 30. And it says it like this. Let me see. I'll read it back here. Crying out, man of Israel said, help. This is the man. Oh, man. This is the man teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Hold the phone. He said he brought somebody to church and it didn't look right, smell right, talk right. For they had previously seen, uh-oh, they seen him with somebody. They seen him with Trophimus. I think that's how. The Ephesians. Uh-oh, he's writing a letter to the Ephesians, everyone. With him in the city. And they suppose, hold on, they got no proof. They got hearsay. They got fake witnesses. Just because somebody's seen them with them. How many times you been seen with somebody and said, like, I seen you with them. I don't know what you've been going through, but we need to talk. Just because they were seen with them, that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city, man, ain't that crazy? They ain't even got proof. Men just got worked up. Can we, can we remember a time in history or even time now? They ain't got proof. They just thought they seen them. And Paul said, they stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out the temple. Dragged him out. And put him in jail and shut the gates. So a little bit about what's happening here. See, there's two type of laws that works in, in Ephesians where, where Rome was, when Rome was, there was Roman law. And then there was, there was the sabbatical, I mean, a rabbinical law. And as Paul was talking about in his letter, he said, you've taken this law to a new extent. <laughs> they, had to, they literally had the right to kill Paul for bringing a person into the temple. And they said the reason was because he was uncircumcised. 
So here we go to the next slide. This is what it said. There was actually a wall that was outside the temple. It was called the Wall of Perdition, and it said these words. No foreigner may enter it. It may result in death. I've seen those type of signs before. Listen, it says no foreigner may enter it. And guess what? They had the audacity to have it in Greek and Hebrew. So they said, if you bring this person into the temple, the temple will be defiled and no longer clean, and you will die. This is the brevity of the situation why Paul is going to jail. Paul is actually fighting for Christian rights in an uncivil place. I tell people all the time, it's okay to have a little civil disobedience. Because sometimes the courage of Christ needs to take you to a new place, like Paul said. Like if Paul was dealing with this issue, ain't no way in the world that we don't have, we get to avoid it. And so who are the uncircumcised? It's up there. Next slide, you and me. You and me. We would no way, no way would I have the opportunity to walk into a Jewish temple. How would they know if I'm uncircumcised? How would they know if I don't know the law? How would they know if I've never been to, to a rabbinical school? They made many assumptions about people. Many assumptions, and this is what's happening. They're assuming they know. They put John, I mean, they put Paul in jail for assumptions. They ask him no questions. They had no conversation. They didn't pull him along private. They just threw him in jail and said he is being sentenced to death. We'll go on to the next piece. So, so we're going to answer three questions today. That was just the introduction. We're going to answer three questions today. And the first question, how does Jesus provide the antidote to human division? How does our identity pave the way for reconciliation? And in what ways do you struggle with your identity? What primary ways are you struggling with your identity? Listen, I struggled with my identity for a long time. This is real. This is something that part of our identity we can't avoid. So, first reconciliation, we're going to answer this first question. And this first question is so amazing. Because when we look at this, we don't look at it this way. Reconciliation is through one person, one person alone, one event, one event alone, one situation, one situation, or one incident, one incident alone, one place one place alone. It is not through what you do, what your thought process does, how you think you can move forward in anything. Reconciliation is through Christ alone. Alone. Like Pastor Ben said, Jesus and nothing else. Reconciliation is only through the cross. When we look at the cross, I, I fight racial reconciliation all the time. I believe in it, but it only happens through Jesus. If you can't be reconciled to God, I mean fully reconciled to God, understanding there's one humanity, that you come into a new humanity, that things change. Why did the Bible use this word humanity? Why didn't it say race or people? Why is it new humanity? Because when racism's there, you treat people like they're not even human. 
You're at the point of racism to downplay somebody's existence, to downplay somebody's power, to say that you don't have a right to sit in the seat. They just told Paul that this Greek that they may have seen him with as he brought him in church, you don't have a right to worship God. And what he's saying is, Jesus died on the cross, so all of us have the right. There's peace for everyone. And when we start talking about a new humanity, this is what I love. I don't know, church, if we've been talking about it for a long time. But listen, there's a kingdom that you become a citizen of. Didn't it say, once you weren't citizens of Israel, now you are. He's using this language that we don't even use no more. We use humanity, citizenship. There's two kingdoms that are happening in our life on a constant basis. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of heaven. Do we live in the kingdom of darkness? Yes, we do. Do we operate in the kingdom of darkness? No. One humanity means that we have a new kingdom and a new mandate and a new lifestyle and a new thought process of what that looks like. And racism doesn't belong in it. Bigotry doesn't belong in it. Bias doesn't belong in it. What belongs in it is Jesus. Jesus belongs in it. Jesus has called all of us to live into a new humanity. Now, if you're starting to minister to somebody and you have some issues with the way they look and they smell and they talk, then you're like, guess what? You need to deal with that yourself. That has nothing to do with them. That's all you. And so when you come into a new humanity, that's what it's about. If you have a problem with poor people sitting next to rich people, that's your problem. That's not their problem. Because what it says that Jesus died on the cross, the cross for all of us to have all have peace. There's nobody that can separate this peace. And so when you talk about a new humanity, you're living in a division of the world that is not operating in a kingdom mandate, which God said in Mark 1.14. He said, repent, repent of everything. Turn away from all your lifestyle, all your thought process, all the things that you grew up and knew about. Turn away and turn to me and know that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God means the atmosphere in which you grew up in, lived in, changed. Listen, I'm a black man whose family are black Muslims who do not like white people, and I do too. And I had to change. I had to change my thought process. I had to change my lens of love. I have to tell them that. It's hard. It's hard. Listen, I have family members that hate everything that I do. And guess what? I live in a new humanity. I live in a new way. They don't get to dictate on the things that God does. And so that's what we come at. We need to understand as we become a new humanity, we're new humans. We don't belong in this world. We're foreigners. We hear all these catchphrases. But do we understand that you live in a new kingdom? You're not bound by law. You're bound by love. You are in bondage no longer to sin. But you're, you're a slave to the cross. See, the cross is such a beautiful image when it comes to this. You have to die continually in yourself to stay in this new humanity. It's nothing that you can do to make yourself a new human. As Pastor Ben said, that's why Paul really, uh, he talked about that. He said, Jesus plus nothing you have good works. You're the workmanship of Christ to show people that, hey, this is different. Now, if you're living the same way, 
as the world dictates, then you have a problem. And I'm going to tell you how I know things change for me. I went to Bible college, only black kid there. Went to churches, only black kid there. Lived in neighborhoods, only black kid there. And I said one day to myself, I said, dang, Lord, can I be around my people? I mean, I mean, for real. I remember there was one time I was doing street evangelism, and I was like, I ain't talked to a black person in three years. And I said, Lord, can you please send somebody that looks like me towards me? And he says, that's not what I'm here to do. See, my lens was, even though I love people, I want to love people that look like me. I want to love people that talk like me. I want to love people that make me feel comfortable. Do you know how uncomfortable it is when you're praying for an older white man who you say, hey, can I pray for you? He says, well, if I tell you no, then I'm going to get boils on my butt. Come on. <laughs> Those are the things I come up against. I'm in a new humanity. I have to accept the crazy things that are coming out of people's mouths, the crazy things, the thought processes that they've been in that lead to death, knowing that is the language of the fall that they talk with and say, I'm in a new humanity. I'm in a new kingdom. I have a kingdom mandate. I may live in this world, but I'm not of this world. I'm not, I'm part of the temple of God. So I'm a new bride. I'm not that messed up bride that wanted to run away every time I made a commitment. I'm not that messed up bride that wanted to go, go farthest away. I'm not that messed up bride that didn't want to talk to anybody. I'm not that messed up bride that wanted my way or no way. I am part of a new bride that falls under the Christ, banner of Christ constantly. I think this is powerful. If you understand this, that this is the answer. The answer is, very, is that Jesus died on the cross, and anything that you have is not being nailed and to death by the cross, then you got to deal with it. And you got to deal with it because you're walking into a new humanity. That's what it means to be reconciled. You don't reconcile to yourself. You reconcile to the death of Jesus. And so how does, how does our identity pave the way for reconciliation? I thought about this a lot. I tried to figure out like a, a really good story to tell you guys in the New Testament, but I could only find this one in the Old Testament. It really touched my heart. Like every time I hear this story, it just touches my heart and it paves the way. So in 2 Kings 5.3, we got Naaman, this guy who was sick and disgusting and has an expiration date who's not going to live who everyone knows is going to die. And then they got this servant girl who was taken from bondage, who was a slave, who was ripped from her home, who was ripped from everything that she knows. And then she's looking at her identity in God. And she says, she says this to Naaman's wife. She says, would that my, would that my Lord were here with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of Leprosy. Hold the phone. Somebody that's in slavery is telling you about their God and say, I know you can be healed by him because my identity in him says that it's not just about me. It's about God doing mighty works among his people. And I'm right now telling you, if you go to Samaria, you're going to be healed and you're not going to die. You're not going to have death. 
You're not going to be in this world that has darkness. I'm going to tell you right now because of my identity that I know that if you do this one thing, that God will save you. I know that if you do this one thing, generations to come will know that God is our peace. I know if you do this one thing, that my children and your children, for one, will be friends again. This is what you need to do first, though. You have to take a step that I can't take for you. And so what happened was Naaman went. We all know the story. Naaman thought he was going to die. He went. And the prophet said, hey, get in the water. He got in the water. He was like, that's not enough. Naaman did whatever it took to get his healing to live. But, you know, that would never have happened if it wasn't for the slave girl. The servant girl. We don't even know her name. The Bible just recurs her as a servant. This woman showed us what reconciliation will do. How we and our identity can pave the way. We don't think about ourselves. We don't care about our instinct. We don't care about what situation that we're in. If we're in dire straits, if we're in the worst place, we just say, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm going to just let you know. You give your life to Jesus. I know I'm in this jail with you. But your life will change. Are you safe to the warden? I know you, you locked me up, warden. I know I only, I'm about to go to the death penalty, but how can I pray for you? Think about the most extreme cases. This is extreme to me. I'm going to be real. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could be put in, in, in slavery and serving somebody that put me in slavery and say, hey, I know a God that can heal you. You know what the implications is? If he died, she was free. Bang. Blew me. I was like, man, she could go. This is her time. But see, God called it, it calls us to a higher level than that. She didn't live in that kingdom. If she lived in that kingdom, that probably would have been her, been her answer. See, uh, go to the next slide. Our reconciliation with God and others has implications. And regarding our relationship with others, this, it, we, have, we, have to, we have to understand relationships matter. Relationships matter. So we have to understand that the relationships that we have with others matter more than the relationships that we, that we think. I mean, I, I, you know how you go throughout your day? You're like, man, I ain't doing that for my coworkers. <laughs> I, ain't about to, I ain't about to make them copy for him. He told me to go send that email. He ain't done nothing for me in 10 years. It has an implication. It has an implication regarding. I remember, like, I, I worked a, I did work a regular job. I ain't always been a pastor. Just let y'all know. I worked before. And so one of the things I, I, when I worked at, I worked at the Booth Brown working with, uh, working with homeless youth. And I was working with social workers and stuff and having all these great conversations and then one day, one of the, the, one of the staff leads was like, I only want to work with Carl. We ain't never got no problems. <laughs> and I was like, man, I really don't know what problems that they could get. All we do is sit around. <laughs> we watch kids. We have conversations. We, we type in case notes. But see, it's the atmosphere that we're able to bring into a place as new citizens. And it matters the implications on a relationship. Like, uh, there's an ugly piece of art in my home. This person will never come to my house. My wife despises it. She said, where did you get that from? 
One of my coworkers made, it was in pottery class, and this is like her ugliest piece of art. She even said it was ugly herself. I said, can I have it? She says, you really want it? I said, yep, I want it. And then I gave, she gave it to me. You know that opened a door for her to start asking me questions about God? These implications on our relationships matter. How we reconcile with others matters. How we have built relationships matter. These are the things that matter. What decided, what divided us is abolished in Christ. What divides us is abolished in the cross. We don't have a God that, that asks us to keep the reconciliation to ourselves. It's something that should be sent to all. I love that. One of the things that we do, like me and my wife do not like, is segregate the church. It's something that we, we don't believe there should be division in church. We should be, this is the one morning that the whole community of God should come together. Like I said one day, what if there was just like one church for one city? What if there was a church for one city? Not so many denominations or divisions or styles of music or any of that thing because Christ abolished all that. He said, what if we brought it all together and not try to make it a cultural identity but made it an identity in Christ is why we worship. It's not about everybody can be celebrated. You know that? That happens overseas. Why can't that happen here? They're called international churches. There's always times where everybody can be celebrated. And I think what divides us is us. It's not Christ who divides us. It's not his word who divides us. Because when we come to the cross, we're all the same. When we come under his blood, we're all the same. So this is the last question. In what ways do you struggle with letting Jesus be your primary identity. Let's go back to Ephesians 2.18. Let me get there really quick. We're about to wrap up, and I'm going to tell you what. We're about to do something special. Ephesians 2.18. It says, for through him we both have access. It doesn't say you have access. It doesn't say I have access. It says through him we both. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. I think that's what it's so key to listen to these, these words that Paul is saying. And then he goes on, he says, the hostility that, that we have can be broken down through the cross. And as we have an example of what that looks like, Jesus is always setting that up. He's always setting up examples for us. Verse 21, that's up on the, on the screen. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Church, you are the temple of the Lord. You are the building that's being put together. We together, being put together, grows the holy temple. We, when we divide these traditions that happen, we grow the holy temple of God and we grow in the Lord. And as I conclude, we go on to the next slide. I have searched and searched for an example that showed what reconciliation is. I've looked and looked for an example for what reconciliation is, and it's the communion table. In Africa, there's a great tradition. It's called the table of reconciliation. 
when tribes are, are fighting each other, when factions are fighting each other, when families aren't getting along, you know what they do? They sit at the table and share a meal together to reconcile. I said to myself, I said, God, if that is the method in which you're doing it, can you remind me where this happened? Where are we seeing this? And we look at the Last Supper, and we thought the Last Supper was just about Jesus showing them that who he is, but he was also showing them, I'm breaking down all the hostility. Even the person who was, who was going to kill him was at that table and could share the bread. Even the person who, who loved him the most, who leaned on him with the apostle uh, John, he could share the bread. There's a place at the table for everyone. This table theology is so great that God has been, people have been doing it for years. This is the one thing that I believe that God wants to do in the midst of us this morning. Like it always says, before you take the showbread, examine yourself. Examine your motives, the motives of your heart, the thought process that you're living in. It is because of this table. This table is so important. His bread and his cup is so important. This bread is not just a bread just for you. This is a bread that says, this is us. The communion table is not about everybody taking communion. It's about one people, God's people, one new humanity taking the bread. The wine is like we drink from the same cup. When I look at the Eucharist time, it's like we don't drink. They drink from the same cup. They dip from the same cup. We all have the one cup. And that's a, cup, that's a cup that was once filled with wrath, but now filled with new life. See, God could have poured out his wrath, but he sent Jesus and said, this is what's going to happen. Jesus said, I am sitting at this table to remind you to continually do this. Remember when, when the Greeks and the, and the Hebrews were fighting? They were fighting at, in the beginning of the Bible, Stephen 9, and Stephen started to share. They said, we need somebody to feed the widows and children at the table. There's always tension around what's going to happen, and you know what always solves it? The table. So if, if you want to have an antidote, if you want to have a new pathway, if you want to have a new thought process, today we're going to do communion in, in, a, in a real different way. We're talking about we're taking communion as one body, one people. We're drinking from the cup as one person. Not as a personhood of I'm just this individual, but a personhood that says, I come under the death of Jesus. Now understand that his blood was shed for me. And as I drink from this cup, I, I abolish all division in my life. See, these things, Jesus didn't die so we felt good. Jesus died so we would, we would crush things in this society. We would share his gospel. Paul went to jail from hearsay and saying that he brought somebody into the temple in which the gospel of Jesus Christ taught. When we're separated, we're fighting against the gospel. When we're together, we're living it out. Reconcile is not just being reconciled to your neighbor. It's being reconciled to Christ first. And communion is a great example, a great instance, a great moment in our lives where that can happen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Alley Church. More can be found at thealley.org. Follow Jesus, live love.